Hello, my name is Taylor Clement. I'm head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Maria Massey, the assistant head of school at Kirk Day School. Well, we're back. It's 2021, no longer 2020, which is great. And we are sitting here today recording on January 21st. We're going to talk a little bit today about our health days, what the COVID situation looks like here at school, things we can look forward to this semester, and then also where the podcast is headed. So uh, first and foremost, Maria, what do you think has changed since it's 2021 now? I know it's kind of like turning an, another year older and you're like, wow, I feel, I feel better. So what's, yeah. cha- what's changed? It's, I guess maybe we can't say it's 2020. I mean, that feels right now like the only thing that has changed. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I'm having, I'm trying to think of like the things that may look better in 2021. And I do think we'll get some, like, I think, for me, I think, you know, sports, like, I think we're going to have fans in the stands for Cardinals games. Not many. I'm right. not sure if I'm going to want to watch them, you know, um, but that's another topic. No, another topic, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I do think there, I'm right now looking forward to warmer weather, which I realize is January. Yeah. So we're a ways away from that. You're not answering the question. It's cool. <laughs> um. I would say the biggest difference that we have now as opposed to where we were when we started the school year is we are confident that our kids are safest in this building. Like, I think that has been proven. You're going to have to unpack that one in a minute. COVID-related. COVID-related. This is the safest place for them. Uh, So I think that is definitely different than where we started in August where we weren't sure the answer to that question. Uh, so, and I think that's really exciting. Well, for me, being 2021, I think we have a lot more hope yes. than we've had. Yes. I think, um, and I mean this in a very apolitical way, you've got a, a new administration. And so, um, where one side felt um, great disdain or maybe just didn't have as much hope or faith in an administration, there, there's an opportunity there for an establishment of that um, in a, from the political spectrum. You've got vaccines that, mm-hmm. that are working and being distributed. Mm-hmm. You have new vaccines that are coming to the market. You have um, a population that continues to battle COVID, and more and more people are establishing the immune systems with mm-hmm. it. Um, there's some talk even that the kids could come to school next year and not wear masks. Yeah. So I think there are areas and pockets of hope. Uh, you see and hear of people willing to travel, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. I think is actually a great thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, we're, we're learning ways. Um, and I think we're, we're beginning to ask the question, I was on a call recently with some other heads in the St. Louis area, what are we gonna keep? Yeah. What, what are we gonna change? And what are we gonna keep um, going into the, the years? And by the way, parents, I'm still deciding that. I think there's a few things we'll talk about towards the end of the year that, that we'll keep uh, from this year that are good, healthy, uh, productive things. And then, of course, there's some other things that you're kind of like, oh, I can't wait to, to run back to that, you know, to what we used to do or that old pair of sweats or whatever yeah. that, you know, whenever that is. So, yeah. um, but, but obviously COVID is a driver right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hopefully this podcast will always be about COVID, and, and I don't think it will. But, but let's unpack for a second because here we are. We, we come back to school. We had four on-campus cases in the fall semester of 2020. Four. That's an incredible number, mm-hmm. and I've, I've said this, if you were to tell me in July we'd only have four on-campus cases for the first semester, I would take it a thousand times out of a thousand, no question. So an amazing job by our families and teachers to, to get that accomplished. 
Then we come back this spring semester and we have already six on-campus cases and even a possible transmission, which is why we shut um, our classrooms down. Um, it's, it's a different ballgame. And we've seen this, this go in different areas. Um, I know one of the things that you and I often thought and talked about was the fact that January was going to be a really hard month of COVID, but after February, we, or into February, we thought we'll see that dissipate. I still believe that. I still think that we're probably, we just hit the, the pinnacle of mm -hmm. that, um, just based on our, how things have operated. But I'm going to pause, and I want you to kind of walk us through what what is it like to, number one, get a text or a phone call or an email that says, I've got a kid that is tested positive or a staff member that's tested positive. What do you do? Where do we go? Of course, I'm a part of this process, yeah. but, but just walk us through that yeah. process, and then let's talk kind of what got us to a decision-making um, point of saying, hey, we've got to make the weighty decision just to close school down for three yeah, days. So, sure. Yeah, take yeah, over. Yeah, so I think, you know, when I get a text or an email or a notification of some sort of we have a positive test, uh, the first thing that I immediately go to is, okay, what day is it? And when was the last time that they were on campus? And when were they feeling some, when did symptoms appear? Yeah. Or when did we get that test? Because we know that crucial window of of being contagious is 48 hours right okay so then immediately we notify the teacher um, and say hey we've had a positive test we're gonna contact the families do the tracing you know start start prepping for your class to be at home for 10 days and so from there we try and notify the families of those impacted in a wide on a wide scope first um, because these kids have different schedules and you know we have to do a little bit of asking questions and a little bit of video and that kind of, and, and um, watching video to figure out what their contact looked like and when you say watching video we go back and just to clarify we're watching security footage so if a kid was in PE and they were in, in conversing or playing with a child from another class that we can go in and, and understand yes. better. Um, were they a six feet apart? I mean, we've even gone in and measured to see if there was six feet mm -hmm. um, and, and other facets that really are going to impact how widespread could this possibly be? Yeah, and we, we make the assumption the whole homeroom is going home. Yeah. So we don't do, you know, because we don't know all of the different types of contact that those kids are going to have with that kid during the day. And the thing that makes this much different than contact tracing with adults is kids are notoriously unreliable for being able to say, oh yeah, I was with this kid and this is, this is what we did and this is what the contact, you know, we can't trust a, a third grader or a first grader or, you know, anybody that, that age, our age to remember that. And so that's one of the reasons that we send the whole class home is out of a precaution that we know that they're in the same room all day, that they get up and move around from their desk. Yes, they're masked. Yes, they're behind plexiglass when they're at their desk, but they're kids and right. they're living and breathing and interacting. And so out of a precaution, we just automatically send that, that full class home. So then when we go back and do contact tracing, we look at, okay, who would the people be that could possibly have contact outside of the classroom? 
And so we look at times like PE or, um, you know, other times where they're not in their classroom to see, okay, what did their contact look like? Did they have masks on? Uh, were they six feet apart? Was it a cumulative 15 minutes or was it, you know, 30 minutes? Yeah. Um, because that, that all makes a difference in the decision making as to who's going to go, who needs to stay home and who doesn't. Right. Because again, our main goal in doing contact tracing and sending kids home is to stop transmission. We know cases are going to come in. But what, what we want to do is make sure that if we have those cases in our building, they don't go to anybody else in our building. Right. That's our number one goal in doing that. And I, th I think a general philosophy with COVID in general, and what I've heard at least from the medical community as well as anybody else that's in more of an institutionalized um, setting, is you're constantly playing catch up with COVID. Always. Because you have the asymptomatic or that you are not feeling symptoms yet, and then by the time you yes. feel symptoms, you've already transmitted it to someone yes. else, and which makes it such a scary, ne kind of nebulous thing out there that we can't get our hands on. And so we have to be um, somewhat reactive, even if we're being proactive. And, and so, yeah, it, Definitely. It, it's, it's a tough cycle to, to be in. One other yeah. thing that, that I'll add um, is that the Kirk whole church and school has three advisors, long trusted physicians in the area and also um, very just men of high integrity, uh, Dr. Uh, Don Schnurpfile, Dr. Bob Wheely, and Dr. Jay Whippled um, all have uh, high respect in their communities. So if a case um, comes to us that's more complicated than just a student has brought it in, um, maybe let's say it's a staff member that's had exposure to maybe more than one cohort or if there was um, kind of an anomaly because life happens, um, they'll advise us from their, their medical perspective on what to do. The other thing that I'll say is every week, Maria and I are still fully engaged with a team of WashU physicians through the Independent Schools of St. Louis. We're asking questions, hearing them. They're giving us updates from the Department of Health, from the CDC. Um, they're getting the latest updates on vaccines, et cetera. We're being informed and staying engaged, and we're, we're doing that at least an hour a week. Mm -hmm. And that, that's something that has been incredibly helpful just to the monitoring of it. Because frankly, had we not known some of the things that we know, and as much as, as this information has changed from just August until now, there could have been a ton of different things that have happened to negatively impact the educational environment. Because some classes haven't had to go home at all. Mm -hmm. Others, it's like, man, here we go again. Yes. And, and it's no one particular's fault, it's not a teacher's fault, it's not even the location of a classroom, it's just life yes. that happens. And you know, I think when we, like maybe the first or second case that we had, I thought, okay, like, if this is the way that it goes every time, we're going to be fine. We can totally handle this. Every single time since then, it has been different. Yeah. And so that's something that I think is really important for our parents to know that we are doing everything we can to maintain as much consistency as possible, but literally every case has been different. And there has been some sort of, you know, different contact or, well, you know, this person lives with this person. And so we know that if two people, if one person has it, the chances of it being transmitted in the same house is incredibly high. And we have a lot of people in our building who live in the same house, not just siblings, but, you know, 
Um, we have parents and uh, who are also teachers and um, you know married couples that that work here as well and so you know no case has been the same right and that is really hard uh, to, to walk through and to figure out which is why I'm so thankful for that advisory team and the calls that we get on because I will say from more of a personal standpoint the more that I have been on those calls the less fearful I am yes about what we're doing and how we're doing it and and even um, what COVID looks like uh, you know the the wisdom and the knowledge that that the doctors have shared and what we're learning um, it has definitely tempered some of my anxiety so a couple of things to that end uh, the first I would say outside of major underlying conditions we are not seeing the virus impact and manifest in children the way that it does with adults yeah I want to be a hundred percent clear I've seen some adults brush it off. Mm-hmm. Some have had a minor cold. Some it has hit hard. Some have been hospitalized and yeah. it's it's been tough. Um, and so it impacts adults very differently. But for children, for the most part, are still going to be safe if, if they're getting it. It just isn't going to be pleasant, but rarely is sickness ever pleasant, right? Yeah, exactly. So let's be real. Um, but that, that, would be, that would be one side, and I think we're hearing that across St. Mm-hmm. Louis, across the board. Um, but when it comes to adults, the other thing that I'm seeing is, is I've seen different genders, different ages, different lifestyles, different life choices, and the way that it manifests with people is shocking. Yeah. And and so I, I've seen somebody that basically everybody in their house got it, they didn't get it. Yeah. They're totally fine. Yep. Somebody else uh, did all the right things, they got it, and it was horrible. Yep. Somebody else, it wasn't a big deal. And so it's been interesting to see that, and, and it's not just the person that works out or their blood type. Or, I mean, it's, it's really fascinating. So there's no rhyme or reason to it. The other thing that I'll say, just so parents know, is timing. Mm-hmm. Um, really, if we were to time everything out from when we get a text to when we have kind of settled all the dust of this is what's happening tomorrow at school, we it takes us about two hours to get everything out. I would say. It could take longer if we're waiting to hear back perhaps from our medical advisory Mm -hmm. team or if we're waiting to touch base with a teacher because we want the teachers to be able to know that first. Mm -hmm. You never want to surprise a teacher with that information or maybe the specifics of the affected parents. So Mm -hmm. there's some misnomers there so it might take through the night um, but we will always have that out within 24 hours and we're always going to make sure that we take preventative measures um, before we do that. You know, but the other thing that I think has changed for us is how we're notified because Mm -hmm. now we're getting um, as late as 10 10 p.m. we're getting notifications um, because these these call centers are calling to let folks know. It used to be this kind of nine to five, Mm -hmm. we would find out we had some, but now it's these after hours. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I hate it, but I know that's also real. And so that's why, you know, parents aren't getting it, you know, 1 p.m., come pick up your kid or 5 p.m., you know, this yeah. is what's happening the next day. Again, all these cases start to get unique because I think the system's learning to handle it better. Mm-hmm. And I mean, societal system. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the worst notification of a snow day in some ways. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah, snow days are easier. Yeah, snow days are way easier, right? My wife might disagree because I've, I've, I've made a few snow day calls, yeah. right, over my career, um, both here and when I was in Nashville. But. Yeah. But you have a little bit more idea of when those are coming. Mm-hmm. With COVID, we don't. 
We don't, generally speaking. You know, we may know that a kid is sick, um, but parents vary on when they get tested and if they want them tested. And so he may be sick and then all of a sudden his symptoms turn and they're like, okay, we gotta go get him tested. And then some testing takes 24 hours, some takes 48. We just never really know. And so we are always playing catch up. Um, We're at least 24 hours behind, if not more. But then we're also trying to do everything that we can in as quick a fashion as we can. And, And I know there have been, I think, two instances where we've asked families to come pick up their student in the middle of the day. And I know that is a the most inconvenient thing, um, you know, especially when we have families that have two working parents. I, I know that. And the reason that we do that is, again, for the transmission. Yeah. We want to do anything we can to prevent transmission on campus because we know that that would be what would, prov- what would make us have to close down for an extended period of time is if we had continual transmission on campus. All right, so now let's, let's move to the three days that we closed down. Yeah. That was tough. That was tough. Um, that was not uh, just to be clear for parents. That wasn't three days off for us. That was <laughs> that was that was definitely three working days, and we were in the building and and things. Um, our teachers were working through that time, uh, but we also know that's a burden on the parents. Um, mm-hmm. So number one, uh, so many of you were supportive through that, and we thank you for it. Um, more cases did arise mm-hmm. um, during those days, and so it ended up being the right call. Uh, the way that we try to, to establish that is, you know, we, we pray for the, for God's wisdom through this, no question. Uh, I think God um, very mercifully goes before us, and it's not a Maria or a Taylor decision. Heck, it's not even the board's decision. Um, it's really God imparting his decision to us. Um, and, and I know that's a very spiritual thing to say, but there are times where I cannot take any credit for it, that I'm, I'm going blind. Uh, but that, that kind of is what it felt like. But we... We were in an interesting position. So we're gonna go back uh, for a second. We're gonna unpack this. We had a staff member that tested positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, the staff member said there's really two different classes that I couldn't, um, I would say, maintain the appropriate distances just with the way the classroom was set up or, or things, and I'm not around them a ton. Um, and this staff person tested positive. So again, we're playing catch up. Mm-hmm. So we go to the two classes and we say we want you to stay home Monday and Tuesday because the incubation period is essentially five days some would say five to seven if the, no symptoms come up within those five to five days essentially at this point there's kind of a seven total but if no symptoms come up by this date let us know and we'll bring you guys back and that was some wisdom that we sought from the medical advisory team correct giving them you know that this is a situation what would you do that was what they recommended and that was so we followed their recommendation on Tuesday we learned that one of the classes uh, symptoms began to emerge with a student that student was uh, tested tested positive we're informed of that and that's where our decision making uh, really shifted into gear typically if we shut down we want to send children home to do distance learning digital Mm -hmm. learning keep them engaged keep them moving couple of reasons why we didn't. Number one, the timing. It was, it was in the afternoon. We, we were still making that, those decisions. We initially thought we would just do Thursday and Friday off uh, to couple with the, the Martin Luther King holiday. That didn't necessarily come out. And then some of the other advisors, mainly my board members, really uh, said, you know what, if you're going to shut down for two days, go ahead and shut down for three. Let's go ahead and, and eradicate this as best we can. 
and move on. Mm -hmm. I think it was the right call. Mm -hmm. I think that, think they did a great job advising us in that. But in moving to that, we, we also knew that was gonna that was gonna be tough for parents. We actually decided to do Wednesday. Um, to add Wednesday to those days off after school. Mm -hmm. And so children already left the building, we weren't gonna bring everybody back in to redistribute materials for that, but it's also nice to have a day or two. We haven't had a snow day yet, and um, it's also nice to always have that, the day or two. But um, anything else that you would want, want parents to know is, is we came to that decision, because it's a tough decision, yeah. it's a tough process, and it's not easy, because we know yeah. we're affecting so many lives. And I think just, the, what I was thinking as you were talking is like, okay, we said at the beginning this is the safest place, but then we took three days off. So how does that? Yeah. How does that mix? It's very contradictory. It's very contradictory, and I have had the same question, um, you know, as we wrestled through this, uh, because we know that this is the safest place for them to be. But then when you think, well, yeah, but no contact with people is the safest place to be, right? And here you have contact with people. The reason that this is the safest place to be is because of all the mitigation strategies that we have in place. And what they're seeing across the board in schools where they have the half, you know, the hybrid model, uh, kids aren't, are still spending time with people, but with none of the mitigation strategies. Right. And so you're still having a grouping of students but they are unmasked, there's no plexiglass, there's no social distance, because they're in their house. They're, hang, you know, they're hanging out doing school. Right. So uh, this is the safest place because we have masks, we have plexiglass, we have some of those structures set in place. And I think the reason that we, the, that we made the decision that we did is you know, the way that you phrase it I think is great. We wanted to tap the brakes and not slam on the brakes. We wanted to be cautious and prevent further transmission rather than be reactionary and have to close down for an extended period of time. Right. Because Tuesday afternoon, you know, we didn't know if anybody else was going to test positive in in that grade where we thought transmission may have occurred. And actually except for a sibling, no one else did. No one else did. Exactly. And that's the thing with this virus is you don't we still do not really know how everybody's going to be affected by it and if asymptomatic versus symptomatic like what is we were learning that and so it was very much a preventative thing for us to do that and so uh, you know the other challenge was the the grade and the age that that was in we don't have as clear cohorting um, because the because of our numbers there's more mixing of students and so we knew that there was a greater chance of multiple people, you know, potentially being impacted if it spread. If it was going right. to spread, um, you know, it, it could impact many more people than just one classroom. Um, we knew that we knew going into this year that it was probably going to happen where we are going to have to shut school down. And so I know that's hard to hear, um, but I, I would have rather shut school down for three days than two weeks. Right. And honestly, I think while there are plenty of benefits we all found when in quarantine back in last spring, and we can say, hey, it was nice, it was nice working from home, or it was nice having the extra family time. You know, I'd eat lunch with my family every day. I'd play basketball with Anderson in the backyard and things. Eh, being in school is really great. It's great for our children, and yes. it's great for the introverts and the extroverts. It is a great place for them to be. 
the the bigger key here is honestly how do we how do we continue to protect the the integrity of what of what we're doing what we're called to do um, along with the responsibility the parents have entrusted with us and that is to educate their children with with excellence and so if we're, if we're doing that we do want to be in person we know that's especially how young children learn best and and even when I look at the pull I guess the, the educational spectrum we're looking at sixth graders all the way down to three-year-olds that's who we are and they need to be in person um, when we're trying to, to do all of the things that we're doing, there's only so much we can control. Yeah. But I want everyone to hear, we are doing everything we can to control it. Mm -hmm. um, we're not just being like, yeah, we can't control that. No, we're going after mm -hmm. as much as possible. Yeah. So. Yeah, and we know those areas where there's maybe a little bit higher risk. You know, lunch, for example right lunch we look at okay they're going to have their masks down there's a chance that they're going to be up and moving around that's maybe a little bit higher risk area uh, but we want our kids to have lunch we so we do what we can to control the environment and then we we consider that when you know we're, we're making decisions uh, we consider that risk and the precautions that we take when when making decisions about sending kids home versus not sending kids home all right, so last thing I want to talk about COVID-related is really cohorts because, you know, at the beginning of the year we said cohorts are the recess and lunch groups, um, which made sense to us at the time. We had early childhood, first, second, third, and fourth, fifth, and sixth. Those were our cohorts. They've changed. Yeah. Now, they've, yeah. they've changed officially and unofficially for the most part. Um, I would say now cohorts, um, hard lines of cohorts would really be at the grade level, mm -hmm. um, and I would say first grade, second grade. Early childhood is a different ballgame because there is so much mixing and crossover, those half day, full day, five day, three day, you know. Yeah. We've got a lot, of, a lot of variables there. But when we look now, if possible, we're trying to have our teachers cohort their class. That's mm -hmm. not always the case. Sixth grade, fifth grade, fourth grade, there, there's some, there's some cross, mm -hmm. crossing of classes. Um, they, they have PE together. They, there's other places there. Mm -hmm. But again, it goes back to mitigation and risk management. Are we able to do that um, from a cohort side? It is much easier to do that within a single classroom. Yes but even at the grade level. So maybe talk a little bit about how these, these cohorts have, have gone from some rigidity to maybe a little bit more elasticity. Yeah, so you know, let's take a, a grade like uh, sixth grade. So sixth grade, uh, you, have some, you have changing in the afternoon where they change physical classrooms. And then in the morning you have some time where uh, they split for math and there's crossing. Right. Some of McCracken's go in lectures. And they're sanitizing of, and yes, they're, they're and doing, doing all. all of that. Yeah. And some of lectures go in McCracken's. That is an incredibly controlled environment still because you're still in the classroom. And so even when there is that crossing where two kids from Debbie's Debbie Lecter's class comes over to two kids from Debbie McCracken's class, it's 25 minutes. They're at desks. Um, they're learning. They're in a classroom, so they have their masks on. So we look at that as a very controlled and minimal risk time. Is there risk? Yes, of course there is. There's always going to be risk when we send 300 plus people into this right. building, right? We know that that's coming. Uh, but that is everything that we can do to control the, the interactions 
and the things that we know can uh, create transmission. So that's, we look at that and say, okay, when we, if we have a positive test in, uh, in, that, in that grade, uh, we know that we're sending the classroom home and we're probably gonna send the kids who sit next to that kid in math class because we know that that may be the other time where transmission could have occurred. So again, very controlled. Then when we look at places like PE uh, or recess, those are the other times where there's some mixing. Well, the great thing about that, 25 minutes, or 20 minutes, I guess PE is 20 minutes, um, recess is 20 to 25-ish. They're outside uh, most of the time. Some of the time masks, some of it not. It just kind of depends on what they're doing. But when you look at what close contact is considered, it's a right. cumulative 15 minutes. So were they in PE? Yes. Were two kids standing next to each other for more than 15 minutes? Probably not. So that's how we've kind of managed to say we're comfortable keeping a class from the cohort in the building, even if another class has to go home. Um, we've really been able to narrow this is who has had direct contact with this person that would fit. Because, and, you know, we see it with friendship groups a lot. You know, if, if we're confident that this kid who tested positive, um, you know, is in this class and doesn't really have contact with this kid in this other class because, you know, it's a boy-girl situation, whatever, we don't need to keep someone home that doesn't right. need to be there. Um, so we, we do very much consider that. We are very, very thoughtful in who goes home and who doesn't. Um, because I know it's hard. It's hard on the parents. It's hard on the kid. And it's, it's hard to learn. Well, and, and just to be clear, some of the things that we're doing um, in, in these considerations, we're looking at seating charts. Te yep. Teachers are sharing those with us. Yep. Look at where they where they ate lunch, um, if they move at all, which we've, we've abolished that. Yeah. Um, we, we talk about what they did that day in class. You right. know, were they doing group work? Were they doing, uh, were they taking a test? Right. Because that makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, if, they, if they're getting up and moving and, and running around, or if they're just sitting at their desk. So all these things go into effect, and, and it's not to bore you with these details, but I think a lot of times folks want to know, how do you come to that decision, and how do you do X, Y, and Z? And our goal is just to have integrity, and our goal is to have transparency with you, um, which is why we go mm -hmm. into that. Uh, can I just add one more thing? Please. You know, you asked me at the beginning of the podcast what's different er, about 2021 than 2020. Um, and I think the thing to me that is most meaningful and most relieving is that we know that school is is a safe place and a good place for them mm. to be. We didn't know that in August. We didn't know how this was going to go. That's yeah. That's and we know that true. now. And that's so such you know huge um, applause goes to our teachers for that and for following the protocols, but also to our parents. Our parents have done an amazing job following the protocols, keeping kids home when they're sick. I mean, that is the best way to prevent any kind of outbreak. Yes, it is. And they have done an absolutely wonderful job with that. And I know those are hard decisions to make. Yeah, thanks for saying that. Well, the next few podcasts, we're gonna, we're gonna shift gears and we're gonna have um, a, a series really of unpolarizing polarizing topics and we're going to be interviewing some friends in the african-american community um, who have i would say challenged kirk day school in our west county um, i would say setting of how can we be more thoughtful and more engaging 
um, in recognizing the diversity within our school. And if you look at our school, we are a diverse population. We are diverse um, just in skin color, and we are diverse within the socioeconomics, um, and, and we're diverse politically. Um, despite the fact that we have a very homogeneous look on the surface, there are a lot of different things that play into that. So we're going to have some guests, uh, some are KDS alumni, um, some are, are just friends within the community, some are parents. Let me just go ahead and say though, I'm excited about this, not from an indoctrination standpoint. Um, they're not here to indoctrinate us, we're here to discuss these things, we're, and we're all okay, the folks that are coming on, we're okay with disagreeing. Mm -hmm. Um, as long as we can do it peacefully. And I think that's something that um, makes me really excited because different upbringings, different worldviews matter, but we're going to hold true to our theology as a school. We're going to hold true to that because of the session and, and what, they, what their accountability to us is. But we're going to hold true to God's Word. But so much of the methodology and trying to hold true is, is a variance of opinion. And I think we're going to have some fun unpacking that, and I think there's going to be a lot of laughter with it as well. So I'm excited about that. Um, we're not necessarily sure how we're going to release these podcasts yet as far as the order goes, but there's going to be some great folks that are coming on, so stay tuned for that. Um, I think it'll be really good, especially as we move into February with Black History Month. It should be a great um, a great time to, to unpack some of these kind of difficult topics and maybe even give some tips of how to talk about these uncomfortable things. So it uh, should be good. Other than that, um, if you guys have other questions, want to know, let us know. I say that all the time, but I'm, but we mean it. You guys are still listening. We appreciate that. Uh, we love doing the podcast. It's one of the most favorite things we do here, um, and we just appreciate you guys listening. And Maria, um, from from my side, thanks for all the work you're doing. It's 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 a ton. It's a lot. Well, thank you. But it's worth it. We're so. all yeah, we're all doing it. Yeah. All right, parents, stay safe, and we will see you soon.